Welcome to the Strategy Mob Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Strategy Mob. Today, I have a very special guest. I have Mr. Jeff Schuster with me today, and I had the opportunity to listen to Jeff speak recently at the JD Talk Auto Conference, which was a virtual event, and boy, he had some amazing things to say, so I'm so glad you're able to join us today, Jeff. I'm really glad to be with you. Look forward to our discussion. Hey, I know we're going to get deep into talking about EVs. We're going to kind of talk about maybe what the next couple months look like for the industry. Before we get super deep into this, I thought we'd kick off today's podcast with a little origin story. Because I've always find it very interesting how everybody gets started in this business and how they kind of zigzag their way to the position they are today. So, so Jeff, how did you get started? Well, I guess if I go back far enough, um, being based in Detroit, you know, you're, the auto industry is in, in the blood, so to speak. Um, yeah. But I remember growing up with, uh, you know, taking taking rides in the car with my uh, my parents and my dad, just we drive by and the oncoming traffic and he's calling out, oh, that's a, that's a 68, you know, Thunderbird. Um, the taillights were changed this year and he's going on and on about all the details about all the vehicles, you know, when I'm a young kid. So I think it was that was kind of set in stone of having an interest in in that part of the the industry. Mm-hmm. I then um, after school, you know, I got into more of the numbers crunching part, so financial analysis. Um, you know, not the most exciting part of the of of anything, um, but it's you know, I'm a numbers guy. I really enjoyed it. Um, I was working for an auto supplier um, here in Detroit area. And um, I was in the treasury group. And for some reason, instead of just doing cash management, which I was responsible actually for, for managing the cash of all of our Canadian operations, um, we also had a, a market share study of our seating business. So I worked for a seating supplier. Um, really didn't belong in this group. We were treasury you know, number geeks. And, and this allowed me to get on the other side of the business is kind of looking at, um, it was analysis, but it was also looking at kind of the competitive landscape of what mm-hmm. the future looks like. Uh, and I was a client of, uh, of the company I'm now part of. So it was kind of a, uh, you know, once I got into that data and, and also the, the ability to, to look at the upcoming vehicles, so the future models and kind of pay attention to that, pay mm-hmm. attention to trends you know are, are, are what are what are people buying are they buying pickup trucks are they buying cars or that led me really into an interest in that part and i i left the uh, the financial analysis behind and uh, jumped over to this side of the business and really haven't looked back ever since that that's so cool you know i was i was kind of like you as a kid you know i played that kind of similar game with 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 my dad for us it was um he'd even step it up one level he'd be like it'd be at night and the, the cars would be coming on mm-hmm. towards us. And he'd have to guess what car in Europe was based on the headlights. And the closer it got to you, there were less points. So the farther away, the better. Right, so even you get to, a little grill maybe as you get closer, exactly. right? Exactly. Even today, I can still do it. It's crazy. Like, I can be, it's be like dusk. The sun will just be kind of going down I'm from the distance. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's a 93 Tercel. 
Yeah, that's horrible. That's pretty impressive. Can't even imagine there's one on the road still. You know, um, or but, scary, <laughs> I guess, to some. <laughs> but it's so cool that you got to take the kind of that 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 kid love for cars, and then your future passion for numbers. Um, and I'm I'm so glad that you have that passion. It's definitely not one of mine. Um, but but I, I do have to live and die by my numbers. I mean, when I was running my dealership, it it's what literally gave me the direction of every single decision that I made, and and it was from people much smarter than myself, like you, uh, that helped me give, give, give me those insights of how I was going to direct my business in the direction that I was going to take it. In fact, actually, that's probably a great kind of start for today's podcast is, mm-hmm. is what direction do dealers kind of take their business right now? There's, you know, I guess we've got two months left right now you know, on the year. It's been right. a very interesting year. Q4 for us is always an interesting time anyways. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of tack on a, a pandemic and inventory levels. And th- there's just, there's a lot to try to kind of forecast what the rest of the year will be definitely going into the next year. So kind of what, what are your thoughts on kind of the global or even maybe even the regional or Canadian kind of outlook for autos kind of moving into the rest of this year and then going into the beginning of next year? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, why don't we start at the global level since um, it's kind of interesting if you look at the different elements around the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think what's what's fair to say is that where we are today is nowhere where we expected to be uh, at the beginning of the year, pre-pandemic. But then also once we saw the the pandemic take hold uh, and, you know, you're in the April timeframe, you know, we were looking at a much more dire picture for the auto industry globally as yeah, well as uh, in, in North America and uh, Canada specifically. Um, so I think when we look at where the world is now, we've added back about 7 million units. So um, give you some perspective of, of kind of where we came from. Last year is about 90 million units um, globally, light vehicles. This year, we're now expecting about 77 um, million units. So we've increased the forecast uh, from a low of 70 back in April. So good news is things are moving in the right direction. Uh, I suppose the, um, the I wouldn't call it bad news, but maybe the mm-hmm. wild card here is uh, we just don't yet know uh, what's fully ahead of us. I think the, uh, you know, the additional news um, that we've had over the past two weeks, and I think Pfizer ending, uh, ending on a positive note again, upping their, um, their, success rate percentages, uh, probably closer to the other one. Now, I think they're both right around 95%. That's what I've seen the last um, few numbers have been. Yeah. Yeah. They're moving up. So I think that's all the good news for not only all of us personally, but, uh, but for the industry as well. You know, it, it, it's interesting right now as, as we kind of look into that, because then I, I find the factor is kind of these rolling closures mm-hmm. are, are creating kind of this, this, this regional effect. Cause I think geographically it just kind of depends on where you are, where these rolling closures are happening. I mean, I talked to people kind of all over, all over the world and it just depends on where you are. And then these regional rolling factors kind of eventually make their way into the national and then the national is kind of slowly making their way into, into its global. I, I'm curious as far as, inventory levels from uh, from a kind of a global perspective moving forward sure. does it, are we going to have enough cars i guess that's my that's my question i guess that's the bottom question probably a lot of people are asking are we going to yeah. have enough cars <laughs> it's it's a legitimate question and i think um when we look in north america the answer to that is it is probably more of a depends and it depends on what you're you know what what a dealership is selling and, and what consumers are buying so um, the cars, you know, using that term specifically, uh, yeah, we'll probably have enough cars, but um, pickups and SUVs, um, maybe not so much. So choice is still down on those, um, uh, you know, the ramp up since 
the essentially the April shutdown that that occurred in uh, a lot of parts of the world mm-hmm. um, has you know, it's gotten inventory back uh, in line, but essentially the industry has been selling everything it can produce, uh, so it really hasn't depleted further, but it hasn't built any inventory. Um, the last month we started to see an edging of of inventory levels back up, but at a very slow level. So I think we're starting to see that that uh, pattern turn positive as far as building that inventory back so that dealers have enough enough stock to have choices for consumers to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as we progress into next year, that's going to continue to improve. Uh, realistically, we're probably not talking about uh, normal levels of inventory until at least mid-2021, though. Wow, mid-2021. I know a lot of dealers, actually, that was some of the, when you had when you actually made that same comment in your mm. previous speech recently, that's when I got a couple text messages. <laughs> it was like, did he, really, did, true, right? did he really just say that we're not going to get to normal inventory <laughs> levels until the middle of 2021? Well, you know what, though? I, I actually, this is more kind of a personal question uh, for yeah. you because like, I would love to kind of get your thoughts on, on knowing this. And at the end of the day, it is what it is. And I know there's a lot of unknowing factors. But, you know, look, I, I'm working with a lot of dealerships right now that are preparing their 2021 business plans. Like, as mm-hmm. usual, it's... November. So it's time to start having those discussions. And there's just, I think a lot of dealers right now, especially a lot of ones I'm consulting with are, are really kind. They're, they're struggling to try to figure out like, how do you, how, how do you make those changes for that model? Like how do you adjust the model kind of based on this? What's some of the best advice you can give to dealers out there that are developing out their 21 business um, models, knowing what you know right now? You know, I, I guess I'd equate it to really what we do um, in forecasting, because essentially that's what you're doing. You're forecasting mm-hmm. your business as you look at the, the upcoming year. Um, the biggest piece of advice, and this may be obvious, but it's remain flexible because you, you've got to kind of take in the new data points and reassess and readjust the plan as we get more information, because this is extremely fluid it's been fluid in a positive way, but uh, you know, as you mentioned, we do have restrictions across uh, uh, good parts of the world, um, obviously in Canada and the US. So I think with those restrictions come possible disruptions. And I think uh, you have to kind of take those into account and you have to readjust the plan accordingly. Uh, for example, if we were to get an inventory shortage again, if, if for some reason a specific uh, plant or, or vehicle manufacturer had, had to shut down because of, uh, of, of a case problem or uh, some other unrelated issue, you've got to adjust those, those plans accordingly to know you're not going to get that inventory and you're not going to have those vehicles to sell or you potentially could have a risk there. So I think it's, it's remained flexible, uh, but also you know, look, at, look, at the, uh, look at the drivers, look at what your customers are buying mm. and, and uh, continue to stock in that space. So I think uh, the easiest thing to do would be um, source more trucks, get as many trucks as you can. I think that's the easiest, easiest, maybe not the easiest, but the uh, most obvious thing to do. But well, you know what, we say that's most obvious, but I think that actually uh, did hinder uh, a handful or a fair amount actually of dealerships is during kind of that, that initial closing of just nobody kind of really knowing what this was and what this was going to look like is uh, a lot of business stopped. I know a lot of yeah. dealers that canceled orders. 
that postponed their normal ordering habits. And then other ones didn't. So the, you know, in the last couple of months, there's been some dealerships that have definitely been positioned better than others because of how they ordered. Now, you know, I think everyone's kind of learned that lesson a little bit about moving forward I is that, so. you know, no one's going to stop ordering. I don't think that's going to, that's not going to be the case. Right. But, you know, I, I, I love what you're saying, Jeff. I mean, in the past, we normally have kind of a, in, in a plan A, and maybe a partial plan B, but now right. it almost seems like we need to have kind of these what if plans. We almost gotta have like an A, B, C, D. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, yeah. And, if and that's, this again, happens, very, what do we do, right? Do that, yeah. Yeah, you have to. We, I mean, we do, um, when we're forecasting, we, we have a series of scenarios and we obviously have a base case, you have your plan, and then you have the, if this happens, this is the direction we have to go. If, if X happens, we've gotta go in this direction. And, and I think remain, remaining flexible and, and I think, you know, reading the current signs uh, is going to be a good signal to, uh, to, to a, a better 2021 uh, at the end of the year. Uh, so there are going to be some surprises. I think we can count on that. We just don't know what they are. So I'm curious, you may be able to answer this, you may not, but I just love to kind of get your thoughts on it too, is, you know, um, and I love this idea. I love having an ABCD plan. And it's just sitting in the desk and it's like, a, if this happens, we pull that plan out. And if this happens, this pull this plan out. And this is both a financial plan and an operations plan. You know, I mean, this year we've come accustomed to doing a lot with a little. I know a lot of dealerships are actually going to report some of the best years that they've had in a very, very long time, simply because the amount of labor expenses have been able to decrease and still maintain a certain level of operations. I'm curious from just your opinion, what what ifs, you know, would you put into place for a dealership to, you know, develop on a strategy, maybe two or three what ifs that would execute on a certain, on a certain uh, plan? Sure. Well, why don't we start with a positive one? Um, and, and maybe this isn't a high probability, but I think you have to have a plan in place for an industry that is going to outperform expectations, whatever those might be. Um, and I think that, you know, that is probably tied around a vaccine. Um, it, it's tied around maybe maybe there's a better rollout of a vaccine and, and we get widespread you know inoculation of this um, mm-hmm. sooner than expected so that everyone is uh, returning to some kind of normal activity in a faster faster um, pace. Um, that's going to likely heat up the industry, heat up the economy, um, you know heat, heat up the financial market. So all of that is probably pushing toward, um, shortages again. So maybe beyond that first half of 2021. So you're in the second half and, and you may, you may have trouble getting vehicles uh, if that's the case. So I think that's a, that's a potential that's, that's, that's a good what if, yeah, that definitely needs to be a scenario yeah. we need to talk about and develop. Out. Absolutely. I think on the other side of that is, um, you know, we, we have a slower, a slower period to get back to normal and, and maybe, maybe that spills into 2022 uh, and next year's kind of this on and off, hot and cold or bumpy um, path towards uh, towards that normalcy. So I, I think you've got a plan and that's probably the path that we're on right now. So maybe that's not as much of a scenario, but if, if you make some assumptions that that some of these uh, th- these restrictions will cause more disruption to the sales model, um, and, and maybe it causes at some point, consumers have been extremely resilient um, maybe it causes consumers to pull back if things don't happen as, as quickly as uh, as they expect. So all this news about a vaccine, if if mm-hmm. the you know if consumers perceive and take that as okay, well this thing is over, 
um, you know, we can go back to normal in January. Uh, I think I think that's going to be a you know kind of a wake up call for them, and and it may cause some uh, some reactions or some different behaviors in the industry as it relates to purchasing uh, large ticket items like like vehicles. No, I, I definitely think the confidence will kind of increase there. Ironically, um, the big ticket items have actually been very good uh, for the last yeah. couple months. It, it almost kind of seems like the consumers patting themselves on the back. We've, it's, uh, you know, they've, they're, they're not taking those vacations like they did. Uh, right. They're definitely not going to be traveling for the holidays, which is as a significant expense. I, my, my, I have three kids. So going anywhere is not a small, a small financial task by any means. <laughs> you know, uh, airfare, air travel is just not as big anymore. So it seems like that kind of seems to be the reward for a lot of them. It's like, well, let's just get the newer, better vehicle then since we're going to be at home so much. So th- that's a plus. Now, I'm kind of curious if another what if, and I'm going to kind of get your thoughts on this. We seem to mm-hmm. have this um, this countdown. You know, I think that's been pushed push back now to June when I guess the CERB will run out. And it almost kind of seems like that seems to be a countdown for when and when we will feel more of the economic squeeze of this all. If you guys have had had discussions about how you kind of forecast that out, if this continues to stay on the path of its direction and the, I guess the, the, the government's well of money dries out, you know, right. what could that potentially look like? No, that's uh, it's a very good point. That is a scenario that we look at. Um, uh, certainly, the stimulus. Um, you know, again, looking around the world, you've got stimulus in, in virtually every location. Every, every single country, country, I think, has done something. Right? Yes, absolutely. So, I think when you look at that, so you have two two options here. Really, you have it drying out at some point in the near future, um, meaning say twelve months, or you you have the kick the can down the road scenario, and that you know, eventually catches up with you as well. It's just a matter of when. So I think the, you know, you've got to look at really both of those two elements. So maybe a scenario within a scenario, I suppose. Um, yeah, it kind of is, Making right? it a little more complicated. But but I, I honestly, I think that those are all possibilities and it depends probably on locations. And, you know, in some cases, it might even be down to, to smaller local governments as well. But um, at some point, these, these all have to be, these packages have to be paid for. I don't think there's there's any um, any question that some level of stimulus to keep the economy from completely tanking uh, was sure. in order, um, and you know maybe there's the the need for it still, um, but I think at some point you know we have to look at it that that's got to be paid for, and, and that likely means and uh, you know a tax increase, some some sort of uh, of a of a funding that allows that to be repaid. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, we may not actually feel the economic squeeze of this for four, five, even plus years after, you know, we've kind of gone through this, I guess, kind of just depends on that. I think what it is, is at the end of the day, dealers, if you're out there, you're watching, and you're listening to this right now, is that have the bloody discussion, you know, don't, let's not be reactive as an industry. And and we, we do that a lot. It just... It's kind of the way we've always been, you know, let's, let's at least have a discussion. And then personally myself, all right, I'm under the belief that you have the discussion, you develop the plan and you, and you communicate that plan to your staff. Because right now I see a direct correlation with employee confidence and consumer confidence. The more confident our staff is, the more confident our consumers, our customers are coming through the doors are, and, you know, we'll continue to sell cars because of that confidence. But there's, there's, there's a, there's a stress of not knowing, not having a plan. 
even if that plan never gets executed, dealers, you gotta you gotta at least have this conversation. Decide what would you do from an operations perspective and a financial perspective if these milestones were to be hit, and, and store that away in your desk. And but communicate it to your management team so that they are confident. They also know that if this happens, this is what goes next. Um, I know. I know this is. This is a big topic for everyone, but there's still some other stuff I really want to talk to you about today too. So I won't go too much more on this. I'm sure we can do an entire podcast just just on this <laughs> topic. Um, but one that's actually kind of been on my mind a lot lately, and in fact, I'm preparing to create kind of a series about it, is you know electric vehicles and mm-hmm. uh, eventually self-driving and autonomous vehicles. But let's say for right now, electric vehicles, you know, how does that kind of affect our industry uh, with the current climate? And, and how does that kind of, what, what, what does that look like? What's the outlook look like for the next, I guess, the remaining of this year and going into next year? Well, sure. I, I, I think, you know, one of the, um, one of the things, you know, if we look at, it, it's hard to look at anything about the auto industry right now and not see those two letters EV associated with it. Um, Every manufacturer's so- got something. Everyone has a plan. It's, you know, they're, it's the greatest, um, greatest vehicle ever. And, and um, you know, their strategy is better than everyone else. So, which, you know, that's absolutely fine. I, I think the, it's clear that's where the investment is headed. Um, not just in North America, but uh, most certainly globally. Uh, China has a, a substantial initiative to push um, their new energy vehicles, which essentially are EVs. Uh, Europe, uh, from a regulatory standpoint, is is really uh, focused on that as well. In fact, I think that's where we see the majority of the of the growth and the uh, substantial volume is is going to be in Europe, followed by China, um, North America, yeah. lagging behind uh, to some extent, but um, but definitely a long, uh, long uh, upward um, angle on their on the growth. So we do see a, a pretty substantial amount of growth. Um, I think it's also Interesting to note, if you look at the performance so far, EVs are are substantially outperforming uh, the rest of light vehicles um, sure. in, during this downturn. So, globally speaking, um, mainly because of the performance in Europe, EVs are actually positive to the year where you've got the global market down. So, it's uh, how are we doing know, some, here in Canada? Because I feel um, like Canadians, we kind of almost are in line with Europe as far as our embracing the technology. Well, performance isn't quite there as far as okay. the um, the you know the outcome on the on the sales. So right now, EVs are down actually just a hair more than the industry. Hmm. Um, so it's not quite there. And this is coming from you know last year they were actually pretty strong. Uh, you had some some incentives that that uh, started out, and I think that got a lot of attention initially. Um, really, in Canada specifically, and and I throw the U.S. in here as well. Um, next two years are, are kind of critical as far as testing consumers to see how, um, you know, how their how big their appetite is for EVs. Sure. And does it go mainstream? You know, you still have uh, have some issues that need to be solved. Uh, you have, um, of course, range. Uh, range is getting dealt with. Uh, we've seen range increase Seems substantially. Seems like it's getting better. Better every model it, that they launch. It, exactly. Everybody's you know kind of one upping the uh, the last one that's out there. So. So range, I would say, is probably not going to be the thing that holds people back. Um, you know, battery life, uh, certainly in cold weather is, is an issue. Uh, you have the infrastructure, the charging infrastructure, uh, and then the price point. Uh, price point is something that can be dealt with, with uh, again, with further government incentives. And I suspect that we'll see more action in that space uh, mm-hmm. to help bring people into, into EVs. So 
that could be the the jumpstart that the that the EV needs uh, to really uh, get over the next couple of years. There's a lot of new models coming out in the next couple of years, um, kind of fighting for a right now, which is a pretty small piece of the pie. There's some exciting models coming out, there and it, it almost kind of seems like it's kind of separated in kind of two different types of classes, right? Kind of find your your your, your more general consumer class. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of like the. Uh, the uh, F-150, the all-electric the all mm-hmm, sure. F-150, where it doesn't look like an EV. You gotta understand, like, EVs kind of have, like, that look, that funky-eyed jelly bean, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And it's just like, now we're seeing EVs that don't look like EVs. I mean, I don't know if I could, with the new F-150 coming out, I don't know if I could actually, honestly tell the difference between the two if they were sitting side by side, unless I could see the logo or something along that lines. We have other manufacturers that are also putting out uh, SUVs that don't, they're fully electric, but they don't look like a typical electric vehicle, but then, but then you got this other classification, which almost kind of like, I don't know what you want to call it, like Uber luxury or, or more high end, you know, there's a lot of startups that are popping up and I've been, it's like, it's, it seems like almost every quarter you hear of like a new, you know, EV startup. So I'm actually kind of curious just from your perspective, are there any startups right now that are kind of getting you excited? There, there are, there are, I think, you know, you've got, a, as you say, you've got a multitude of these, um, what I would call almost a boutique EV company. Because, there you go. That's a great um, way to say it. Yeah. They, they, I mean, they, they've come out of, in some cases out of nowhere, most of them not really out of nowhere, but they've popped up, they get funding uh, or, or they get listed and get funding. Um, you know, they, they develop a vehicle, but most of these companies haven't produced anything yet um, no, they or, haven't. Or, or haven't, haven't even gotten anywhere near launching a vehicle. The closest is probably Rivian mm-hmm. um, who, you know, COVID delayed their, their, their RT one pickup. Um, but it's going to launch early next year. So that is going to be the first one really out of the gate with, um, with a lot of buzz. There's a lot of attention that, it, that it's getting uh, from a capability standpoint uh, from uh, the fact that it is in a, in a segment that consumers want right now. I'm curious. And did, I think, did you watch that Ewan McGregor uh, series? He, he, him and his friend take, you know, I uh, didn't so, know. okay, you got to watch this. It's him and his friend yeah, take these. It's, I think it's long way, long way up, I believe. Yeah. It's long, long way, way up. up. Okay. And they start okay. from the bottom of, of uh, South America and they move, mm-hmm. work their way all the way up to, to LA and they're writing um, electric Harleys. But oh, that, wow. but then the, their trucks are Rivians mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. it came out. I thought the timing was quite interesting when this series was released and it really kind of, it highlighted. And I was, I was kind of curious. I wonder if that was a good idea or not. Cause this could have gone really bad for them. <laughs> yeah. It, if it didn't, that's brilliant marketing on Rivian's part as well to get it, um, you know, get that out there before the vehicle launches. It, it, it was, you know, and it was a very, I mean, they even show it like it was like VIN number one was what they literally put into the show. Wow. Uh, wow. But you see the vehicle going through some extreme, extreme conditions from heat to cold to water to just pretty much everything. So I agree with you. I think the Rivian kind of excites me. I'm not going to lie. The uh, the new Hummer, um, I'm, I got mixed feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I've actually been in an H1 several times and have an opportunity <laughs> to drive one. And it's like, there's just... They're large and they're heavy and they're crude and they don't go crazy fast. And this is like the polar opposite of everything that kind of everything that Homer used to stand for, right? (laughs) It's just the polar opposite of it. Um, Now, more on the mainstream, I guess we'll call it mainstream EVs and then boutique uh, EVs. Any of the mainstream EVs that are coming out that get you all excited? 
Yeah, you know, I think um, another big launch uh, is the Mustang Mach-E um, mm-hmm. for Ford. So that one's going to be one to keep an eye on. Um, again, hitting a segment, so in, in more of the crossover SUV space, but with a sporty angle, obviously trying to attach it to the Mustang name. Um, Mustang enthusiasts might not love that. Um, I know quite a few no, I don't, that I don't were think, a, little, I don't think they will. a little disappointed with the name linkage. <laughs> yeah. But I think, um, you know, the vehicle itself is, uh, is a much more competitive product than we've seen in the past. So I think, I think that's really the, the bottom line is the, the new generation of EVs. And, and frankly, we can thank Tesla for this um, because they really blazed the trail um, creating products, uh, you know, first mm-hmm. in car segments. When, when people were moving away from cars, they still, still are buying Teslas. Um, and now Tesla's obviously have two models in the, in the SUV space and looking at that crazy cyber truck as well at some point. Uh, talk so about I think really we, pushing the envelope. Huh? Let's talk about, uh, yeah. Yeah. Something that maybe doesn't belong uh, on this planet. Maybe, maybe, maybe Elon uh, needs to send that up to Mars. With, yeah, it looks with like a Mars rover. rover. <laughs> it does look like a rover, right? Um, but I think we can, we can give them a lot of credit for uh, really bringing EVs mainstream and getting a lot of attention around them. And now where it goes from here, um, you know, the rest of the industry certainly um, caught on uh, in, in is uh, putting a lot of investment, pouring a lot of investment into EVs. You know, aside from the pandemic, and I'm not trying to talk it down by any means, um, it's actually kind of an exciting time. Like there, there's, some, I mean, th- this, this uh, next five years hmm. uh, for our industry, um, put aside the economics of everything, but just the leaps and bounds that are being made in technology and, and the consumer having so many choices. We, we've just never had this before. And, you know, I mean, the last 30 years, it's kind of been the same. I mean, you know, we've right. improved our fuel efficiencies and we've improved the combustion engine, but there hasn't been any something radically different that you can kind of grab onto. Now, look, I, from a dealer's perspective, from a, like I, from a consumer's perspective, I'm excited. And um, I've driven electric mm-hmm. vehicles, boy, uh, being a sports car fan and just loving just big board out V8s and, mm-hmm. and, and loving that power, the, the power of, of, an e, of an electric motor is just, it's, if you've never experienced it, it literally sucks you in the seat, oh, mind boggling. The torque it's, is incredible, right? It's, it's insane. It's, it's, a little, it's like a rocket. It's just, if you, if you get a chance to experience guys, I definitely uh, recommend you go out and experience it. But um, there's a lot of dealerships out there that are looking at their manufacturers and they're not con- totally convinced that this was the right direction to go. I would love to kind of get your thoughts and opinion on how you see EVs uh, may or may not uh, positively or negatively affect uh, the automotive dealer. Well, I, I think because it's it's the vehicle of buzz right now and I don't think that's going away. Mm. Um, so I think if we use that as kind of the base um, and, and let me go back a little bit. So I think for me um, personally, so I've been in the industry kind of tracking things. Um, oh, I guess it'll be 25 years coming uh, up early next year. Congrats. So quite a long time. Congrats. And maybe it's a sickness. I'm not sure, but <laughs> I, I enjoy it. Um, but, I, you know, I used to be a kid in a candy store going to auto shows, uh, you know, as a younger analyst and, and kind of looking at everything and uh, just getting excitement over the concept vehicles, over over the new launches and I would say the last five to maybe even 10 years, to your point earlier, is the industry has just kind of 
you know, just kind of moving along, improving Mm -hmm. the excitement just hasn't been there. And, And maybe that's because I've been doing this for a long time, but I think it's also because of, of what has become more of the financial pressure on the industry. Um, and that's all the way down through the dealers, of course. Um, so there's there's less interesting, exciting kind of um, passion drawing things that the industry has been, I think, uh, part of. And I think as when we look at EVs and look at um, what that's doing and kind of look at where this industry is going in, in you know, I know AVs and, and mobility and all of that is a, is certainly a little further out um, than than we're going to talk about today. But this is an exciting time. This is mm-hmm. arguably the most dynamic this industry has been um, in a very long time. So very if we kind of translate time. that uh, into kind of your question about um, about EVs for the dealerships, and I think there, are, I think it's a positive. Um, I, I think having that new hot EV. Uh, that launches um, brings that excitement, brings that connection back to the consumer, uh, who, you know, is looking for something that that excites them. And and yeah, buying a new vehicle is always exciting. Uh, so I, I, well, at least for me, it is. Maybe not for everyone. <laughs> no, I, I I agree. I think it's look. It's not something that, we do on a regular basis. It's yeah, a pretty big that thing. process that process is a big deal, and you you should get excited if you're if you're going through that and buying a new vehicle. But I think when there's something that's more interesting and maybe different even if that's not what you went in to purchase, it has a bit of that halo effect, I think, that uh, that a dealer can benefit from. I, I agree. I, I definitely think that there is a, it's a reason to come visit. It is. You know, where the new models are great, the new designs are great. Um, I mean, we're getting to the point where we'll start putting 65-inch screens in, in cars. <laughs> I mean, holy cow. I was, you know what? I was in a Hyundai Elantra brand new one that just showed up 2021 mm-hmm. right and the screen on this thing like it's just, it's oh, a it's, screen there's, there's it's no insane, gauges right? it's, it's insane yeah. i mean there's like they're telling me like in total there's like 30 inches of screen in this thing i'm like huh <laughs> it's so look the, from a tech perspective I, I i agree with you that, that we've we've kind of almost maxed out as far as what we're going to do to get the, the <laughs> traditional vehicle but evs do definitely have some excitement i get excited because i'm a gearhead i just start looking at the torque numbers Right. And I, it, it, it's just the, it's crazy. I mean, to get a, a vehicle that large to go that fast in that time, time frame is just, is just crazy. But I think what a lot of dealerships are concerned about is the stress it puts on the operations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's two parts to this. Yep. The current salesperson, they're not necessarily equipped to be able to explain this level of technology, I think effectively is one of their biggest concerns. Absolutely any your, any thoughts you have on that? No, hundred percent agree with you on that. Um, I think that's a that's a certainly a risk at the dealership level. Um, so there's probably, and I don't know, maybe your next section is going it from a service standpoint, mm-hmm. but we'll, we'll start with the sales experience. I think you're absolutely right. Again, even if that that buyer or consumer comes in not not necessarily looking to buy that EV, but if if the salesperson can't explain uh, and articulate really what all of these, you know, what are the benefits? What is the technology? Um, you know, I have a, I have a question. I'm a concern. I heard I'm supposed to be worried about uh, about range. Um, you know, kind of getting them mm-hmm. over that hurdle. Uh, so I think there's a, there's a lot, and this is this is education, this is training. Uh, these are different vehicles, and I think um, it's going to take a, a little bit more effort, probably at the dealership level, to make sure that the staff, certainly their sales staff, at least initially, is up to speed. 
No, you're almost right. Like what's kind of investment? Am I looking at uh, training my staff uh, exactly. to w- what the new technology is? And that's just the sell side, but then also the service side. Look, we, we struggle enough mm. just <laughs> to find service technicians sure. that can deal with the current technology that's in mm-hmm. vehicles. And that, and that current technology has somewhat shifted, but it's been very similar for the last 20 years. Um, now you're going to literally remove the entire combustion engine and, and add a computer into it. And like, mm. these technicians aren't like, their hands are dirty. They, they, they move wrenches. If there's something they can't move a wrench into and they have to plug into to diagnose, you know, what is that? Uh, there's a lot of dealerships that are concerned about that. And there's almost a kind of a fear to, them. I'm, I'm going to sell this car. Fine. I can get yeah. my team up like, to speed where they can sell it. it. Right, but then, right. I don't have someone back there that's yeah. going to service it. And I know a lot of technicians aren't necessarily interested in learning. This is the problem I'm running into right now. A lot of technicians aren't interested in learning, all right, the, the technology requirements to service these vehicles because there's just less work for them to do. So the education is huge on them, but the opportunity for them to generate money as a technician is a lot less. So it's I would less, love to kind of get your yeah. thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I completely, uh, completely understand and appreciate that from a dealership standpoint. I think it's a, it's a tough position to be in, uh, but it's one that you know those that are able to manage through that quickly and get ahead of it, I think, are are going to be uh, out in front and have an advantage um, because I think that is a big concern. Um, obviously, having the right technicians, so you want to have the right technicians, um, but you're going to probably have to have uh, a more variety of 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 those type of technicians. So it you may not be able to train every technician into the EV space and to be able to diagnose and, and, uh, and fix and, and troubleshoot an EV. Um, this is obviously computers have been coming into vehicles for quite a long time. So for I sure. think that for transition sure. has, has already been occurring, but this takes it to a very different level by removing the engine completely um, and putting an electric motor in. And, and it's going to take uh, likely not only training, but also a Additional resources, most likely in terms of technicians uh, that have some of that experience, uh, and then finding those technicians. That's the other challenge, I think, as we look at this and and look at the expansion of, of EVs into the industry. Yeah, definitely finding finding those individuals that, yeah. and and also the other thing too is I actually think EVs challenges the our current pay structures for a lot of our sure. staff. Um, I, I think from both the sales side, but even maybe more so on the service side, you look, the requirements to um, be an expert in that space as far as a technician goes is the same as it is its counterpart as far as a combustion engine, but there's just less service work to be done on that. So then if you know if our, our current pay plan is made off of piecework or flat rate, right? right if there's just right. less work to do, then how do we compensate that? So there's just a lot of questions, just a lot of things that would just, at the end of the day, it's kind of almost what we kind of talked about early on in our conversations. Like we gotta have a plan. We gotta at least have a discussion because the manufacturer's not slowing down. <laughs> no, no, we know that, right? We know that's true. They're, they're, gonna, they're gonna put out what consumers want and what, what meets, um, meets kind of the social norms and, and regulations and, um, you know, the dealerships are, are going to have to deal with that. So I think the sooner, you know, the, the industry and the dealer industry gets together and, and discusses some of these issues and how are we going to uh, have the right technicians in the space? And, and what is, you know, what is the model for, for pay or for charging for repairs on these vehicles? How is that going to differ than, you know, than it did on, on an internal combustion engine? You, you have much, uh, you know, many fewer moving parts, uh, 
fewer things to go wrong, but the things that do go wrong probably are much more expensive. Very true. Very true. And and I think, like like I said, it's what we said at the beginning. It, it's, we got to have a discussion around it. I just find too often in our industry that we just kind of, we let the chips fall and then we try like, oh no, let's reorganize everything and we'll move this person here. We'll move them over there and we'll just kind of hope. But it's just, I, I think if, if anything you guys get from listening or watching this podcast is, is, is be proactive, all right? Have those plans in place. Your manufacturer's not slowing down the technology. Um, you know, at EVs are one. That's just one That's just one thing we even have to have discussions on. We have to have discussions around subscription models. I mean, how many manufacturers right now are working and building out technology within their own cars to support more of a subscription? Subscription style model. It's just there. There are a lot of things on the horizon in our industry that we just need to start having discussions and creating plans about. Now, Jeff, I know, I know it's towards the tail end of our time today, and, and this has been a lot of fun. I and mean, we could easily do with just a whole other podcast just on EVs. Um, actually, I've been invited to a launch. I'm gonna I'm gonna send you some information. I think it'd be fun to go with you to do some one of these new ev launches and oh that'd be I'd, that'd be awesome yeah 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 it will it would be a lot of fun but hey before i let you go though for everyone out there that's watching and listening right now and would love to kind of connect with you and in, in, in the company and learn more about what you guys do or kind of follow along and with you what's the best way to do so Sure. Uh, you can find us. Probably the easiest thing would be our, our website. Uh, we have a lot of information on there. We have a, a regular blog. So if you if you don't want to just uh, just listen to to what I um, what I talk to you about with uh, the industry, you can read about it. We've got a lot of smart uh, analysts that are looking at different aspects of it. Um, so that's uh, it's lmc-auto.com. Uh, you can find us on uh, on Twitter. Um, I'm on Twitter as well, uh, JW Schust, S-C-H-U-S-T, uh, and then it's LMC Auto. So uh, we're, we're active on there. We're active on LinkedIn as well. So mm-hmm. um, we're on most of the social media sites if uh, trying to keep information out there and, uh, and really... Uh, we, know, we, we love nothing more than talking about the industry and uh, keeping people informed. No, I, I love following with some of your guys' content. You can tell there's just a, there's a real deep-rooted passion and care for the industry. I appreciate that. And yeah. God, there's, guys, there's, there's a wealth of information on their website. you got to check it out. Read some of the articles and the blogs. Uh, very, very, very cool stuff. Again, Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. This has been a lot of fun. You have yourself an amazing day. Thanks, Jason. You as well. It's been fun. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy Mob Podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to sign up to be a mobster at strategymob.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe.